0: all right here we go it is the system failure podcast number 20 yeah coming to you live high above Congress street uh all right well uh yeah happy or merry christmas happy new year nate yes it is the last the very last day of
1: 2023 um i expect 2024 to be a um, big year for the old system failure podcast we are up to episode number 20, and uh, t- to my mind, I expect it to be about episode 50. Uh, by the time we get to episode 50, I expect us to be like really good at this. Um, <laughs> so I feel like 50 reps is a pretty good um, a number to have in the can um, to where we'll start to be able to offer a real quality product. So we're going to cross that milestone here in 2024. We've been at this for... 20 weeks now i guess i think we missed one or two in there so probably something like 22 weeks so it's been and indeed it was midsummer when we first got started on this uh, glorious and august enterprise
0: yeah well our little podcast is you know growing up
1: yeah we're getting uh, more downloads on the um uh statistics uh, which are. is exciting yeah so our, our numbers are growing over and now we're not we're like still like under 100 but we're you know that we're still under 50 as a matter of fact but uh, it, but we can see but they you know they give you the information and
0: we're you know, Do, we're well, does that mean we're getting like fifty listens per episode?
1: Uh probably. I think that the most recent one um, after a week had seventeen, which is pretty good. The, they used to be all we'd get all you know all time. So one by one, the sheaves are trickling in. Um, so that's exciting stuff. It's oh. nice to see that we're uh gradually making headway you, know, you wouldn't want to be going down in <laughs> numbers that would be discouraging
0: yeah <laughs> yeah
1: um i think we have brian your beautiful new podcast rig to uh, credit for um, actual sound quality that's you know approaching a professional level versus uh, the mickey mouse equipment we had before as it turns out
0: uh well you gotta love doing it on a real rig uh and being able to like hear into the cans uh <laughs> what you're saying you gotta love it yeah
1: well, um, I, uh, we made the rounds. As we mentioned last week, um, when you have no kids, you're kind of expected to be the one to visit everyone's house. So I think I did about three Christmas parties this year. Um, most of those you were there for, Brian. So what would you say? I Overall, I think it was a pretty good Christmas as far as they go. Um, i didn 't spend too much time in the car. Uh, we do have a middle brother jason who uh he and his wife are renovating their kitchen and so they just had to tr- they, i mean and so they just got the shaft they were in the car probably for four hours of their brief Christmas you know the sun's not up for long uh during these dark days of winter, and they spent most of it moving in the car, which is most unfortunate
0: well i think um your you know typical millennial comes in like two flavors i guess i mean you've got uh you're either sort of married with kids like at a reasonable <laughs> yeah. age of like thirty five or forty. Or, uh, you know, you're just going to be single for the rest of your life. You're uh, in a right state. <laughs> never having any kids, or not owning a home, or yeah, a right state. Well, um, we were at
1: my mother-in-law's house, or I guess future mother-in-law's house, for the night of Christmas itself, and um, I thought things went off pretty well. Um we everyone got a little toasty on a port that our middle brother brought along, and uh, so that was fun. Uh, our uh, my mother, my future mother-in-law, gave a little toast where she was like, "You know, it's so nice to have everyone at the table." And oh, by the way, God, if you could spare a thought for the rest of the world, it's in quite a we're in quite a situation here. Uh, the pot really seems like it's boiling. Now we're into my words and, and not hers, but uh, everyone at the table understands, and I think everyone in the world understands that. Um, We are really, uh, the things are less functional in 2023 than they were in 2022, and things are less functional in 2022 than they were in 2021. We are, in other words, in a period of decline in terms of our, at least in terms of Western society or the United States, um, specifically speaking. Um, I think probably everyone, no one would think, raise a skeptical eyebrow and think she was crazy for including the rest of the world in her prayer for Christmas, eh?
0: Uh, No, (laughs) yeah, the uh, well, the weight of uh, current events, uh, I think, yeah, weighs heavy on everyone's shoulders. Yeah, yeah.
1: Um, The situation in Gaza, much ballyhooed on this very podcast, is uh, the latest example of madness, and it's broken even some of my internet minds. You know, some of my favorite public intellectuals seem to be unable to grapple with it. You know, the the August Sam Harris seemed unable to deal with. with uh the election of the donald in 2016 and his his um issues grappling with that have been very public but i heard um i heard uh let's see eric weinstein like my fa- like whenever i see eric weinstein pop up on the podcast guest list i get really really excited he had a brief interlude about probably a month ago now with dave rubin and he just seemed to think that uh, that the the Palestinians were just crazy people who were going to weaponize liberal democracy against the inhabitants of liberal democracy, and all rules were off the table. And I was like, I don't know, man. I feel like I just feel like when there's a when there's a land grab, people are going to feel a certain way about that. And when there's an imbalance in power, the people who have had their land grabs are who have had their land grabbed are going to um, are going to respond in any way they can. And, and I mean, like, it's, it makes me think of the the british army criticizing the minutemen the the the, um, the patriots of the american revolution for not standing in a straight line and wearing brightly colored clothes but instead sniping at british regulars from the treetops and you know be accusing us of um un, uh, cowardly or asymmetric warfare and you're like well I, it's just it's the only thing we can do the only way we can win right there's there's what a man there, there's like the gentlemanly rules of engagement and then there's what's kind of M- breeded by necessity, bred by necessity. Do you know what I'm saying?
0: Yeah. Well, I think it is interesting that uh, the current events continue to like uh, break the brains of uh, you know the our, our trusted heroes of logic. Um, I mean, just between like the Donald and the COVID and this mm, business yeah. in Gaza, the framework that people have in their brains, like the conclusions they want to come to. Doesn't seem to uh, it. It isn't jiving with reality, which I guess you'd have to think is maybe a good sign, uh, or that uh, change is coming, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, I I can understand. I guess um,
1: if you are like our like our man Eric Weinstein's an Ashkenazi Jew, so I can imagine that that would probably make it really hard to get an objective read on the situation. But usually, everything that comes out of Weinstein's mouth is. Um, either incomprehensible to me because he's way smarter than I am, or seems like genius because I can just barely grok what he's saying. <laughs> but in this instance, I was like, yeah, I think um, it's a lot like the war on terror. You know, um, like it's like saying that the war on terror happened because people in other countries hate our freedom is um, kind of the same. The same as suggesting that the Palestinians are merely uncivilized and barbaric, and that's why we're having this problem. It's like, well, I, I think that they have some political grievances. That if you listen to the, what those political grievances, grievances are, it start, the the situation starts to make a little more sense. <laughs> um, but yeah. yeah,
0: well, I was listening to uh, Crystal and Sagar respond to some you know uh, fan emails or whatever, and you know, one person was asking them why they can't be more charitable to Israel in their coverage. And, uh, and, you know, Sagar was saying, well, how much can you talk about October 7th when, you know, it's just, uh, there's just tons of footage of uh, Palestinian neighborhoods in Gaza being leveled. Wow. Yeah, that's pretty good. And, uh, yeah, like, I mean, how much can you talk about 9-11 when, like, you know, America's having its misadventures in, you know, Iraq and Afghanistan? Uh, I mean, it's, it seems highly comparable in yeah, I don't know. What we need is like some kind of pro-Zionist defender to get on here and uh, make it all make sense, I guess. But I don't. It's crazy that uh, somehow trying to like be better than <laughs> the the Palestinians or the Hamas or whatever it doesn't seem to be an option. And that the only uh, the only like morally justified play in the minds of these people is to yeah level you know Palestinian neighborhoods, I guess.
1: Yeah, you want? Yeah, we should have a. We should have a. Hopefully, if there's a, if we, we need a pro Zionist sort of um, person to send us an email at nop.substack.com, Let us know why we're completely uh, out of touch and totally mad. Um, and big shout out to Crystal and Sagar. They have the best news program out there, I reckon. I don't necessarily agree with those guys and their editorial uh capacities but um they really i mean they they just have news that's not like bought and paid for by pfizer and it makes a huge difference um, when you w- when you go to consume it um so breaking points crystal and sager good stuff mm.
0: yeah well i mean it's just one of the many things why like between that and you know x being no longer uh, government propaganda we got to get excited about the drama that's about to go down <laughs> yeah. in 2024 here
1: um, side note uh we are getting emails at not at substack.com, but they're all advertisements for search engine optimization or YouTube optimization. Um, but the, uh, the the emails they send us are from like people's email accounts who are selling the service and who can see how many episodes we have and reference in the email. So, uh, although no one has emailed us at nop at substack.com yet um, with to, to actually respond to the things we're saying on this pod, we uh, are, like, apparently are pods out there enough to attract the to attract the flies that always surround the carcass, you know, of the advertisers in other words. Um, so, so that's exciting stuff, eh? Uh, we're getting out there. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Well, what else you got new Brian? I have a, I have a interesting antic anecdote from, uh, from home goods, the, uh, the appropriately named home goods store, but have you got anything for us before I launch into that tale?
0: Well just I was over at you know CBG on Friday the uh, local I don't know watering hole they have food and uh, that's reasonably good until like 12 so uh, you know it's it's pretty good
1: brutally expensive like all restaurants these days eh
0: uh well i mean i think compared to other places it's on it's on a curve you know so it is brutally expensive but it also could be worse uh, <laughs> yeah
1: yeah and the food is really good um we should we should say the CBG is decent well, decent chow
0: i mean they have menu options for under 20 dollars that are and they're open till midnight and the food is not terrible so i mean you could go and i mean it's like 15 dollars for a uh you know a, a meal at mcdonald's these days right Yikes, and that's yeah. straight poison so uh, it is at least better than that. Although they were unfortunately sold out of the fish and chips, which I think are pretty darn good for eighteen dollars.
1: Is there anyone in the world that doesn't like fish and chips? That's one of the great <laughs> meals, uh, you know, great meals of all time. If you
0: can eat seafood, you're definitely into fish and chips.
1: <laughs> I think it's also worth mentioning that over at the CBG, they have a huge picture of the Big Lebowski, so that shouldn't go unnoticed. Just a little point of order. But uh, what's the meteor tail here? What what happened to the CBG?
0: Okay. Well, I was just talking to this dude. Tim, so shout out Tim, who I sh- shilled the podcast to. Uh, Had
1: you met Tim over there or did you go with Tim?
0: Well, I just went over there and I started talking to him. Ah. Uh, I guess So Tim, you know, I guess he was also born in 83, like yourself there. And I guess he is like the head of like a bank in Brunswick. And he used to own a home or something or a condo in the West End, but he's since sold it. And now he's doing like the van life with his dog. What?
1: He, wait. So he he is um he runs a bank. He used to have a home, but he sold it and moved into a van.
0: Yeah, I guess he sold it at the height of COVID. Um, you know the market's going crazy, and uh, yeah, he's in a van now. And I don't know, well, he just uh, seems to agree, well, we were talking about how, uh, you know, what the 90s were like in the post, uh, you know, Berlin Wall coming down, but pre-9-11 days, you know, before the dark times, <laughs> before the empire. <laughs> um, and, uh, uh, well, uh, I don't know, I was trying to explain about hyper-normalization. Mm. Uh, you know, speaking of hyper-normalization, I was trying to think of a good example of hyper-normalization in our modern age. We've talked about hyper-normalization on here before. Like, what's, uh, what's like, the most... Can you give any modern examples of hyper-normalization? I can give examples from this, like, month of December
1: 2023. Like, my, my most favorite uh, recent example is the Biden administration telling their voters... Um. You, uh. The the economy is great. Look, GDP number GDP numbers are good and unemployment numbers are good. So therefore, we've done a great job with the economy. And there's nothing. Nothing's amiss. You should. <laughs> we should all just whistle past the graveyard.
0: Yeah, I guess that is a perfect example that the economy is great. Is like uh, the ultimate example of hypernormalization, where I mean, you just have to look around you and like what they're selling. at yeah, does not match, huh? And like in hypernormalization, you know, it's Well, it's this term that came from like the collapse of Russia, right? Like, yeah. Leading up to the fall of the Berlin Wall, where they had to act like everything was fine, but we all knew that, uh, or or the people of Russia knew that, you know, it was going down the tubes. Yeah, I I guess uh, in our current society, you just you just have the band of people who aren't buying what the establishment is selling, and then uh, I guess to us, everything the establishment says sort of seems like hyper normalization, and then you have the people who. Uh, you know, they let the political figures like regurgitate uh, nonsense into their mouth, basically, or believing the economy is good. Or I don't, I don't know. It seems like a life of, of suffering and misery. Although being uh being woke or whatever it is that we are is also a life of suffering and misery, I suppose. <laughs> oh, uh, so I guess yeah. you pick your poison.
1: Nothing drives me crazier than hyper normalization. It's it, it absolutely makes me bonkers. Um, like GDP is a great example. Uh, GDP measures like if your credit card company jacks up your rate from 19% to 29%, well, that's an increase to GDP. If they slap you with a bunch of fees, that's an increase to GDP. If uh, your uh, landlord jacks up your rent, that's an increase to GDP. It's it's just a crazy number. It's like, uh, it'd be like if the Chinese slapped $550,000 of debt on all their students and then announced, and then counted all that as their GDP, as their GDP number. It's so fraudulent and so ridiculous. Um, so yeah, it, it, it seems like, to your point, like it seems like the pie is basically half and half, or, or maybe. Beyond, maybe it was half and half in 2020 where half people are like, well, I have a house. I have a job. Things are going fine. Uh, it's never been easier to order packages on Amazon. I don't know why all the people are screaming on the internet. And then half of us are like millennials like um, this gentleman, Tim, who you mentioned, uh, who's living out of a van or who have no path to home ownership or no path to having a family and just are going, what do we even do? Why bother getting up and going to work if you're not going to be able to have those things? There really isn't. It's really destroyed the whole rationale for going to work. And you know that's why we get the no one wants to work, Um, Kennard so constantly regurgitated. Um, But I think maybe with it seems like with each um, each indictment of the Donald and oh by the way we should be remiss to not mention that our um, dear Secretary of State here in Maine has up and canceled the Donald from uh, the primary ballot, uh, which is a wild. Bellows, she once ran for governor. You may recall. she she just kind of single handedly decided that she has the authority to strike the Donald's name from the Republican ba- primary ticket um, next year, um, adding adding to an almost certain collision with the Supreme Court with with the good citizens of Colorado who've done that. At least it was their court in Colorado and not just some some government official single handedly making the decision out in Colorado. But man, that's just wild. Remember, the Dems are the ones who are like, "Well, wow, democracy is in peril thanks to you know we can see on January the sixth that." democracy that we are the party of democracy but oh by the way we're we're going to cancel the donald in any underhanded way we can that doesn't involve him
0: yeah i don't think it's going to go well or i mean i mean maybe but uh just they're gonna it is gonna go before the supreme court and then they're gonna have to try to say that the donald is responsible for this insurrection and i i guess if you're just like a regular person it seems like obvious that that's the case but, uh, I mean, the QAnon shaman, I mean, that guy's out of prison now, right? Uh, they released him after the tapes came out of what actually happened on January the 6th. He was just, like, led into that the main Senate chamber or whatever by the police. Um, although they said he got released for good behavior. Um, uh, yeah, I just, I, I mean, well, the Donald, like, tweeted that people should not riot at the Capitol, too. I, I think it's a tough case to actually make. And and there's also, like, the FBI FBI informants and whatnot, and the FBI testified that they couldn't remark how many FBI people were there on the day of January 6th and whatnot. What is the name of the man who— Ray uh,
1: Epps. Ray Epps, yeah, who has on video of the day before suggesting people go into the Capitol, it turns out the man's a federal agent of one stripe or another yeah and I too have seen those videos of like the Capitol Police pointing out the landmarks you know and the protesters filing through orderly through the Capitol rotunda and admiring the mo- the, um, the, the mural of the apotheosis of George Washington to be found underneath the dome and like uh, it's just it's not it's not the threat to democracy that they'd like to use as a rationale to cancel the Donald, um, to cancel the Donald from the election, but I think their efforts are just going to drive more people into the Donald's camp. said another way. The half of us that are aware that the, of the hyper normalization roughly speaking, I think you probably agree with me, Brian. That the, the half of the pie who who think who can tell that something's crazy is going on were the ones who. Um, maybe we don't. Maybe we don't vote for the Donald, but we're at least rooting against the establishment. And then there's the other half of the pie that just wants things to just doesn't want doesn't want the conflagration to spread. Just wants things to continue down the same. The people who buy who buy into the narrative of hyper normalization spun by our masters in Washington D.C. and in the media. Uh, but I think that that number I, I I I'm seeing more RFK road signs popping up despite the man's deplorable stance on Israel. Um, popping up around Cape Elizabeth, the some of the wealthiest addresses in the state of Maine, um, which is exciting. Like I think that people are look. I think that the number of people who are aware of the hyponormalization is approaching a critical mass, um, or maybe I just want to believe that. But it seems that way. To yours truly.
0: I mean, if the Supreme Court overturns like what Shannon Bellows and others are doing, it's just going to be a huge win for the Donald. And why, why do they do this stuff? And, uh, well, Bill Burr was on Jimmy Kimmel saying, you know, like, yeah, if you guys hate the Donald so much, you know, just stop talking about him. I saw that
1: bit. Yeah. That clip. He's like the um, the man's a narcissist, which you, you, you need to have like emotionally neutral towards narcissists is the strategy. According to, uh, Wilfred Burr, um, who is, who is always, um, always hilarious. Um, yeah, that's pretty good. I saw that clip too. Uh, that's interesting. (laughs) Yeah. It's certainly, it's certainly wild times. Um, so on the topic of. Hyper normalization and um, went to... I've been doing the the uh, curbside pickup at Walmart recently for my groceries. You know, it's like I, the, the local grocery chain, Hannaford's. Um, obviously, the prices are all ridiculous at Hannaford's and the quality ain't there uh, in terms of the... Product the produce available and the goods available at the meat counter. So I uh, I will buy like buy the steaks from Whole Foods. Buy everything else from Walmart. Has been my strategy these this past month and a half, and it's been working out pretty well. Um, I did have the Walmart delivery with Walmart Plus. That's pretty good uh, if you you know. M- e, um, but they don't deliver to my new place in Cape Elizabeth. So I have to drive to the physically drive to the Walmart uh, the Walmart Super Center in Scarborough Maine. Ugh. And uh, the Walmart Supercenter as you are aware Brian, is situated next to this Home Goods store. Now Home Goods is owned by the same company that owns TJ Maxx. So this is a it really is like the like the scavengers who are reselling Ebenezer Scrooge's Ebenezer Scrooge's dressing gown and bed clothes, you know, at the during during the Christmas Carol. But that's what's at Home Goods. It's just um, stuff that couldn't be sold in other stores it finds its way now down the ladder to finally to Home Goods. And um, because Walmart was late with my order, like they couldn't get it together, I was supposed to pick up between five and six, but they it was like five thirty, and they still weren't ready. So, I um, so I Tracy went over to my lovely fiance. Tracy went over to HomeGoods, which um, hitherto has been one of her favorite pastimes, is going shopping in there and sorting through the sorting through the junk piles to try to find a deal. But she was horrified at the insanely high prices, even at HomeGoods, and swore never to go back. And that really shows you why it is that Democrats like Shannon Bellows just cannot do anything besides step on their own feet when it comes to a strategy for dealing with the Donald. I mean, the man, let's be real, is a bloviating narcissist. And so he just – they all of the old strategies they would use to exclude uh, third-party candidates or outsider candidates just don't work on the Donald. He doesn't he's, – he's, um, he's very good at reading a room and uh working a crowd and he doesn't care uh he they they can sling mud at him and it just washes off like water rolling off a duck's back which is a hilarious quality he's like he's like he's tailor made to resist the attempts of the political establishment to exclude an outsider and the reason the dems can't all they can do is get in their own way is because they're they're bought and paid for by business interests who need the profits of their business to tick up by 3 4 5% something every year. And the amount that they need their business profits to tick up every year is directly tied to the Federal Reserve of course because the Federal Reserve sets the price of money itself. And so if you Brian have a company that you and you IPO the company and put a bunch of shares out there for the public to Um, to consume or to buy, Um, the public's only going to buy your shares if they have a reasonable expectation that you're going to be able to return value to them over and above the risk-free price of money set by the Federal Reserve. And um, so that's like home goods as a business. They have to make more and more money every year. And part of the way to make sure that that happens is they buy the politicians and the news media, the people who buy the – who own – Home goods, or the TJ, whatever the um, the holding company is that owns them, and TJ Maxx, they have to make sure they they the, the politicians can't. What what we really need to happen is to move the slider from corporate profitability to corporate corporations serve people. They fill our need, you know. They they sell us the products we need and the services we need to live out our lives. Right? That's what corporations should be for. But instead, they're for increasing the profits by these tiny amounts every single year. Um, and then, it, it, but, but the way that compound interest works, the way that percentages work is that adding 3%, th- this is where that GDP number comes in, it's supposed to represent the volume of business that we do every year. And the way that compound interest works is such that adding 3% to the 2023 economy is like adding an entire 1970s US economy. To the economy we already have, it just becomes hopeless after a while. Like um, we, we, it's it, we, we, sh- we, sh- we need a system where business is profitability can be level versus having to increase at all times and all places. And that is the unfortunate Federal Reserve system that we're currently trapped in, and it's the root of the hyper normalization that's driving half of us crazy, fifty-five percent of us crazy, fifty-three percent, something like that. Um, and so that's what uh, that's that was the discussion that my me and the lovely Tracy had after her horrific experience at Home Goods, which was, you know, heretofore one of her sanctuaries.
0: Yeah, well I think it's good news for the Donald and probably most of the citizens of the United States that yeah, like just corporate profitability is like at odds with like the political agenda. And that's like what the Donald can exploit, right?
1: Well corporate profitability is at odds with the common good. And the, the the common good is supposed to be the political agenda, but instead we have this other political agenda substituted for it. Is that what? Does that make? Well, is what we're saying making sense? Fitting together?
0: Well, I mean, well, I guess I'm saying it's kind of coming apart at the seams with like you know Bud Light and Disney, mm, where yeah. I know, I guess I don't I don't quite know why they're doing like this establishment shill type thing, or they're trying to hold up values that they they're doing things that aren't profitable, right? But I, I guess it's what like the establishment wants them to do. Like, what's an
1: example? What are they doing? That's un- I mean, they're they're trying to be profitable. They're just failing, right? Or is, or are they intentionally? Or I, I think that, and I, I do think in some situations they will sacrifice profit pro- profitability to keep control. But that in, in itself is a long term attempt to maintain profitability.
0: Well, uh, well, Bud Light. I, get, I mean, they you know hooked up with Dylan Mulvaney, which I guess doesn't seem that bad. Uh, I mean, well, it alienated Bud Light's, you know, base, which is uh, like regular Joes who uh, probably, I guess, don't care for the excessive fixation on, uh, you know, gender stuff, I guess. And I mean, I suppose there's really nothing, I mean, there's nothing wrong with Bud Light hooking up with Dylan Mulvaney, but I guess just the, the crazy emphasis on all the, uh, on like sexuality and stuff is mm. like through the roof. Um, and like Disney, well, I mean, uh, uh, well South Park lampooned them pretty good yeah, with a pretty Cartman as uh, <laughs> Kathleen Kennedy yeah. saying put a, a, a chick in it and make it gay make it lame yeah uh, Well uh, well, I don't know they're just not willing to do anything artistic Well they certainly what they like what Disney can't do with their art is, is say something real about like what's going on in our society, right? Yes.
1: Yeah, they don't want to reflect what's really go- they can't let that happen. They can't reflect what's really going on. Because that, that because what's really going on is there's a tension between the, the common the public good and their corporate profits.
0: Well what and well it's costing them money though. Like what would be profitable I would I would think is to like make a genuine piece of art uh like make another like real Indiana Jones mm. or the original Star Wars I mean those things must have made a crazy amount of money um but they're not able to do that because they have to shill, and uh yeah we can- <laughs> all they can do is uh yeah keep regurgitating uh it's uh it's like in the wall where uh, the teacher is like opening up its mouth and spewing a bunch of worms into uh, the children's <laughs> mouth, right?
1: Uh, yes, and by the way, I appreciate the Pink Floyd reference. It makes me sad when we go a whole podcast and there's an area Floyd reference, so oh, that was yeah. good one. I'm glad you wove that in. Oh, yeah. My take on the Bud Light situation is that in in like 2010 and 11, there was this massive Occupy Wall Street where people were outside the banks and um, you know screaming about the... The, the screaming about the malfeasance of the banks and uh, about the horrible inequality, and th- that's the conversation they can't. So I think we got this whole. Uh, first, it was gay rights, you know, and everyone everyone could kind of agree across the broadly across the political spectrum. Yeah, we we've not been kind to those of us who chance to be homosexual. Maybe we should reform our ways and and, and put them on a more equal political footing. Fair enough, and that kind of well, that kind of got Barack. That was like the tied in with the first black president and so we just kind of went down that path i think that the people who own like the same people own budweiser or i think inbev is actually a european company that owns budweiser now but broadly speaking the davos crowd owns inbev and budweiser and they also own disney and i think that they thought that arguing over you know what the definition of a woman is and all this crazy transgender stuff this is a this is a th- – there's an element of that that fits in with uh, maybe we, maybe folks who – they're really – like when you go hunting, right? Sometimes you shoot down a deer with antlers and it turns out to be a female. Like transgenderism is like a thing and maybe we would ought to extend the same political consideration. All well and good for sure. But I think they thought that this argument – was a good way to distract from the banks like and the inequality. And that they started this whole discourse and then Bud Light hired a moron out of Harvard <laughs> uh, for their hired their marketing department and this moron decided to inject that Trojan horse, that faux political philosophy into the Bud Light marketing campaign and it blew up in their faces. So I think that that's a screw up, right? It's not, like they're not, I don't think that they're pursuing a strategy of seeding a little bit of profit now so they can take more profit later, right? They're not, giving up a pawn now so they can take a queen later in terms of their corporate profits, which I think a lot of this is,
0: well, I think it's just that the old framework, it doesn't really seem to work. Like I, it seems like appealing to, uh, I, I don't know what to call this topic, but I mean, I get social Marxism or whatever, or cultural, Marxism, cultural Marxism. Yeah. I mean, that's a terrible term as we've, t- it's, a, it's a, it's a, it's a hyper, it's a canard as we've talked yeah. about for real Marxism. Uh, But, well, just another example is just, like, the COVID lockdowns, I mean, were terrible for business, right? And so... Well, they were
1: great for Amazons and Walmart and Home Depot. They They were wretched for small business. It was
0: good for a few, yeah, select... uh, But it's not good for, like, the NFL, for instance. And Mm. that is, like, a powerful moneymaker. And there's a lot of, like, you know, capitalist interests that suffered, I think, as a result of the COVID. And so it makes an opening for the Donald. But I guess... uh, it, it, generally speaking just the old model of looking at things uh is just it's falling apart for the for these podcasters with these issues that come up and it's falling apart for businesses it's, it's hard to pinpoint i guess exactly what the old way of doing it is other than that it doesn't seem to be adapting to we're just still trying to apply this old model and when new facts come up people are having a hard time changing
1: mm. definitely yeah the old um the, the old the old framework It's like a bed sheet. it's like a it's like a sheet for your bed that's too small, right? It's it's you have to stretch it and tug at it in every direction, but it no longer covers the insane situation we find ourselves in. And what we need is a new bedsheet, but of course, the people who are invested in the old bedsheet do not want to let that happen. So they're just damming up history, and it's just it's like a zit that's getting more and more swollen and more and more pressurized. Um, and um, and man, I think the twenty twenty four election feels it feels like the march to a climax in the way that twenty twenty did not. Um, And it's definitely true that Biden is way behind in all the polls now, thanks to these ridiculous indictments. And thanks to the fact that the Dems, what the Dems need to do is say, what we're going to do is, um, if they want votes, if they want to appeal to the folks who don't buy into the hyper normalization anymore, they have to be like, well, we're going to sacrifice some GDP. We're going to sacrifice some corporate profits to make things better for regular people. We're going to, in other words, ameliorate the mounting inequality. Um, that matches Pharaonic Egypt or Rome at its uh, Rome at, at its twilight, um, but they can't do that because their donors are specifically paying them not to do that. They won't be reelected, and that's I think why they are just employing strategies that only make the problem worse. There's nothing they can do. We've got to get rid of that old bedsheet, and no amount of tugging at it like our dear Secretary of State Ms. Bellows can possibly make that bedsheet fit ever again.
0: Well, like inevitably, what. What our government needs to do is like grow the customer base for these you know companies rather than continue to like shrink and extract from them right yeah uh, and that's like the flip that's it's gonna need to happen and is not happening and it's it's uh there's just that tension about yeah switching to that new bed sheet uh that uh we're watching play out right.
1: We've been, I, I think that fundamentally what we need is democratic oversight over the means of production. Right? That rightly, really, I think that is, the, that is the flip that needs to be switched. And we've been dying for it for a century now. Marx wrote about this stuff in the late 19th century. And we in America are part of a great, a great we were part of a great revolution telling King George III to get stuffed, um, having the Boston Tea Party. Prosecuting the American Revolution, um, resisting the banks during the Revolutionary Era, resisting the banks during the Jacksonian Era. Uh, Lincoln, Lincoln Secretary of State Seward, eschewing the Rothschild banks in Europe in their ridiculous usurious demands for an interest to borrow money to fund the Civil War, and instead just creating a greenback that doesn't involve borrowing money at rent- borrowing our currency at interest from the rich. Um, Teddy Roosevelt trust busting in the late. 1800s um, and breaking up standard oil. But that that's about the time period that we stopped being a part of the great re- – FDR, I would say, the New Deal is also a part of that revolution, and that was the end. Um, we had a revolution in economics that redefined unearned income uh, as it had been carefully defined by the capitalist think- thinkers like Adam Smith and John Stuart Mill. Redefining things like interest and monopoly rent and actual rent on your living space, redefining those things from unearned income to just there's no distinction between earned and unearned income. There is all money you've earned counts towards GDP, like the aforementioned credit card fees, you know, being a part of GDP. That's not a that's not a constructive that's not a constructive good or a service that's just a that is a that is a deadweight loss <laughs> um, fee, fees for your credit card fees or interest rates or or rent increases and we lost that crucial economic distinction and um, since the 1970s when it became technologically feasible to move our means of production overseas to other countries and take advantage of cheap labor there uh, since we doubled the amount of workforce by including women and getting to thereby getting two incomes on every mortgage application you can just see that we were a part of this great revolution and we were just about to get over the hump and now it's all fallen by the wayside and and we're going to have to kind of we're going to have to eventually get over that hump somehow or another it's it's it looks to this observer like a historical inevitability and um And trying to pretend like it's not is how we get the crazy hyper-normalization that is consuming our society here in 2023 and about to consume our society in 2024.
0: Uh, I guess I'm not sure that we have to have like worker-owned, you know, companies or uh, what did you call it?
1: Democratic oversight over the means of production?
0: Yeah, yeah. (laughs) But, uh, I mean, it certainly would be nice, but uh, what we need are, like, some powerful, you know, like, worker co-ops to, you know, out-maneuver uh you know the regular corporations if it's going to happen
1: let them compete in the market i mean like the market has its problems like rich people are going to feed in in a milk shortage you know rich people will be able to afford in a milk shortage the price of milk shoots up and then so rich people will buy the milk and feed it to their cats well human children starve there are issues with the market which is a a means so it's a a, um, contrivance for distributing distributing goods but look, keep the market. Let worker co-op owned entities compete with um, corporate owned entities, and uh, they're going to cost more, of course, in law likelihood. But see which one people prefer. Uh, one is going to derange our society irreparably, and the other leads to stability.
0: Well, growth. there's definitely. Uh, well, just obviously, as we were just talking about, like the direction that like Disney and like Bud Light are going, uh, don't seem to be working, and so there's a huge hole for a different kind of company to compete uh yeah i mean I will, we'll see what fills the void i guess i'm open-minded i mean uh, obviously a worker like worker co-ops would be awesome hmm. but uh i mean well i mean ai could change the name of the game or you know the uh like the, the, the logos could awaken yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah okay well that's a good that's a good like
1: Surely you would agree, Brian, that the great trend over the course of history is from, like, top-down control. Like, you have one god-king, everyone has to obey the god-king, and disobedience means death, and the entire society is molded and shaped according to that one god-king's ego. Um, Those are, like, often slave societies, like uh, the Roman Empire is a great example. Most people that live under it are slaves and not free men at all, or free women— um, and then you have a feudal society where maybe and it's not it's not I mean, it's still not you there's not a lot of freedom you're kind of stuck doing whatever. If you're the oldest son, good news, you could inherit the the right to farm the feudal lord's land that your dad farmed. If you're the middle son, you're f and you have to become an itinerant knight and travel around and become a mercenary or if you're the youngest son. Uh, but like but then you have like the industrial revolution, the fall of medieval society, the rise of capital society run by the banks uh, where they, the and, and uh, fueled growth fueled by science, which gins up technology. Technology is taken by entrepreneurs to market, to make money for the banks, and it, it's a it's a pyramid shaped society. And but it, but it but we at least pay homage to the ideal of democracy. But so surely you would agree that the stock chart of democracy, that is um, bottom up control versus top down control, albeit a work in progress, gradually ticks up over the grand arc of history. A eh? is that your perception?
0: Well, I mean, you could say that the direction of history is to become like i mean the amount of like control and dystopia has increased, right so you could <laughs> uh, say that the stock chart's trending towards more dystopia
1: recently, yeah, so uh, like a stock it's like a sawtooth pattern right you have these drops and falls and then you build back up, but generally speaking, like all of the uh, the nobles of Europe of England forcing the king's signature on the Magna Carta, right? Taking some of the king's power and diffusing it a little bit. Like diffusion of power. You that doesn't seem to you like the great theme of history.
0: I don't know. Like I mean Aristotle was saying in politics about how like slavery is like the nature of man, right?
1: <laughs> yeah. Aristotle I think was used to justify a lot a lot of the slavery the transatlantic slave trade. Um, the words of Aristotle.
0: <laughs> well it's just I mean it's not like in gorillas there's always like a silverback and then you have like your regular gorillas right and uh that's just uh, that's just the way it goes and so i mean certainly some amount of democracy expanding seems good and there's obviously a strength in that uh but i don't know that like just the nature i think we're gonna have our silverbacks, so to speak and so uh yeah i don't know i mean democracy seems like a good thing Although, well, I mean, you need something powerful like AI to make it so that people aren't, you know, idiots, <laughs> and uh, under the hypnotic sway of our reptilian overlords. Mm, yes. Yeah. Uh, so what? Uh, you you need something to bust that up, and that's really like the the crux of the problem with democracy. Is when people get stupefied by some powerful force
1: yeah yeah well so that's the big liability cited by plato that makes democracy the, the big difficulty with democracy is the educated electorate eh?
0: yeah i mean really what i mean slavery is like this mindset is like part of uh, the thing about slavery it's not just a matter of like freeing the slaves it's about I mean, you you don't just like take away the chains i mean it's just the nature of like people psychology and stuff Uh, you know, it's like Reek from Game of Thrones there. He gets his mind fucked and uh, he becomes, you know, he becomes a slave, right? How do you break that chain?
1: Um, I think we have to pause and make a, crucial distinction between slavery as it exists within the capitalist system in modern times and then slavery like it would have been during the Roman Empire like during the Roman Empire slavery was an unfortunate and temporary condition that could happen to anyone you could be freed you could become a slave your city might get conquered you become a slave you could be freed if your master saw fit or if you had enough money to like um, bribe your master to free you um, slaves were oftentimes the tutors of your children they might be more educated than you they might be literate. Um, slaves might be your lovers. You know, you might, they might be, they, they they integrated with society a lot different, a lot differently. Um, slavery in the racial sense was invented only in the 15th century. And, um, man, the guy's name is like Gomez. He's a Portuguese writer. Um, you see that the, the thing, the thing was the, the, the slavery, the transatlantic slave trade where specifically Africans from the West coast are the slaves in society. Um, and then they could only ever hope to be slaves, right? There's no way you're going to become anything, but you know, no, you, these, the, the people with dark skin are just our slaves, and that's just how we recognize them. That all started with the sugar trade on the island of Madeira. Madeira was a Portuguese colony that's off the coast of Africa. They discovered that you could take sugarcane, and you could take that sugarcane, cook it down to create sugar, and that this drug was uh, highly profitable and desirable, and you could make a ton of money off sugar, but there's one problem sugarcane grows in tropical environments and those boilers are miserable to operate they're really hot and so they had the idea of merely of plucking black people from the west coast of africa from the uh, ivory coast and chaining them to the cookers and forcing them to do that unpleasant labor and doing so made them a lot of money And the uh, i think it was king jow of portugal and i need to i i would need to refresh my history but the king of portugal really needed – this is an uncomfortable situation, chaining people to the cookers and forcing them to make sugar for you, and they needed a rationale. So this guy, Inez de Gomez, I I, I Zorata Inez de Gomez, is something like that. He wrote this book at the behest of the king about how black people were subhuman and therefore it was okay to chain them to the cookers, and the rest is history. That, mo- that economic model got exported to the Caribbean islands for the uh, uh, sugar trade there and then copied and pasted into the American South when King Cotton became a huge crop. In uh, the in the south of the U.S. and that that king cotton crop became even more important than sugar. Um, the when you watch like Gettysburg, that old movie, there's a um, there's a British attaché to General Lee's camp because the Brits were like their whole scam was take king cotton from the south of the United States, cr- take bring it to the factories of Manchester and turn it into textiles and then export those textiles to India via the Dutch East India Company. We are the British East India Company, the descendant of the Dutch East India Company, to take that to India where it's illegal for anyone to sell clothes except for the East India Company. They have a monopoly there. That was the scam the English were running. And um, after a horrifying slave revolt on Haiti, they outlawed slavery, but they didn't really necessarily want slavery outlawed in the US, or at least they wanted to ensure that their crops, that, that their, king, their cotton exports, Imports from the southern United States remain intact, so they could keep their scam running. But the point of this whole diatribe is that slavery is a degraded condition, um, where people are kept in a, 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 a traumatized and uneducated state, making, making, presenting a huge problem. With the outbreak of democracy is something that's very peculiar to the racial. Post-capitalist version of slavery and doesn't really match the concept of slavery from the Roman Empire, whereas, as mentioned, you might have a tutor for your children who is literate and is, a, is like a like is familiar with Greek philosophy. Um, it, so, and, and and also people would pass in and out of slavery, like it's like kind like of bankruptcy. It just kind of it's un, unfortunate if it happens to you, but it isn't like a permanent condition. So, I think that distinction ought to be made. Um, but overall, I'm trying to convince you here that. Uh, that we at least pay lip service to democracy now much more than we used to. Right? It used to be the belief that people were fitted into rigid caste systems and that the lower caste would be unworthy of making decisions, and this was the rationale for heavily top-down societies. Um, and surely the facts on the ground lend themselves to this idea that we live in much more bottom-up societies than we live in a much more bottom-up society despite recent struggles post-1970s today than people have ever lived in history um does that seem
0: like a crazy claim to you uh i mean so we're, you're we're getting more democratic
1: yeah the things gradually now maybe things have gotten less democratic since 1970 but over the long term like um for example women's suffrage in the early part of the 20th century, right? Or um, it used to be that, like, when the United States was first conceived of, only landowners could vote, right? Then you had to allow, okay, we'll allow poor people to vote, and we'll allow black people, ex slaves, to vote, and we'll allow women to vote, and we just keep enfranchising more and more and more people um, and becoming over the 300 year course of history of the United States. Generally speaking, Democrat democracy has. Increase that is to say, power has diffused among more people versus being concentrated. Even though the trend has reversed itself since nineteen seventies, I shall certainly grant you.
0: Uh, well, yeah, I mean, obviously, we don't have like, well, yeah, but, well, we had a phase where we didn't have pharaohs as much anymore. Yeah, yeah. but I ju- I'm just not sure that you know, dividing the wealth of pharaohs among everyone equally is like really what we should be necessarily try... I mean, just having leaders is going to be the way of it, right?
1: Well, I agree about the hierarchies. Um, I think that, um, that that hierarchies are a natural part of human operation, and that you're not going to get rid of hierarchies, but what you can do is cancel out people's individual egos and self-interest and make collective group decisions. Um, I'm thinking... I mean, uh, other examples of that happening might be the French Revolution or even the Communist Revolution in China. Like, No one believes, I think... That the Chinese are running a democratic state, but there are supposed to be elections starting at the local level and working their way up through higher and higher ranks till you get to Xi Jinping. I think that if you don't vote for Xi Jinping, you could disappeared. And I think, but at least they're at least they're imitating this bottom-up sort of control um, nominally. Like they're at least giving lip service to this notion of bottom-up control. Versus before China had an emperor, right, a holy emperor who was beyond question, and that was it was just total top-down. Um, I I don't know, to my way of thinking, anyway, even if I can't get you on board, Brian, I reckon that the stock market chart of democracy gradually ticks upward even in, and sometimes it crashes and sinks back down. But overall we've, we've evolved from slave systems to feudal systems and from feudal systems to capitalist systems. And we eventually will evolve from the capitalist systems into something else. And that's really the, that's really the roadmap that I see before us. Um,
0: well, I mean, I, I guess I don't disagree, but there's just something about how the, like the more things change, the more things stay the same or right? in like, I mean, the, the kind of enslavement we have going on now, well, like, I mean, we've uh, joked in the past about how miserable it must be to work, like, you know, the fry later at the airport Popeye's. You're sweating over this crazily hot <laughs> bubbling oil thing. It gets all on your sinuses and stuff. If you've ever Ugh. worked a, a fry later before, maybe you'll know. And I guess that's not as bad as being chained to, like, the sugar boiler in Haiti or whatever. But, um, I mean, they've got you working, like, super hard over this crazy boiler or the, the fry later here in a way that's, like, even more – it's just hard to imagine that they're making you work even more, like, harder at this crazy thing than Mm. through, uh, like, the threat of the whip is uh, you're just trying to make enough money to uh, survive, basically.
1: You're absolutely right. I think what you're saying is true. We have oddly exempted the workplace from democratic uh, bottom-up control. We've, like, held it away. Like, in every other uh, facet of life, we totally – we celebrate democracy, but at work – we are very insistent that we want that top down control. So, yeah, I think work is definitely the obvious place, the obvious next frontier for democracy to conquer.
0: Well, there's just this thing where technology is this thing that has to be figured out. And there's like this battle, like where the internet used to be like uh, this tool for uh, freedom. And now it's become like a tool of our reptilian overlords. Uh, and so, yeah, there's just like a, a war. In the marketplace of ideas, going on, and I guess over time, it seems like when things are new, it's like harder for uh, the people in charge to figure out how to control our minds. But obviously, they've gotten the hang of it. Uh, well, uh, except, well, I mean, it's been that like the like Facebook and Twitter and all that have been effective propaganda tools uh so much so that you know the the system's coming down around us and yet we you know we cling to it You can't talk about it yeah they won't they won't,
1: they don't want any discussion i think that the warping and um the mutating and the deforming of the online discourse like in in the in, in, in insofar as the online discourse is separated from what would natural discourse would be i think it's all geared towards making sure we don't have any discussion about democratizing the means of production. Um, like when we can't talk about the, the possible, the possible, the, the possibility of vaccine injuries, even if they're rare of a COVID vaccine. Well, that's because we're protecting corporate profits, right? There, there's this whole light like, that it's because a tiny number of people have their hand on the ship's wheel over at Pfizer. And all they care about is optimizing profit. Whereas if Pfizer was run as a worker co-op, there would be you know a half dozen juggling balls for them to balance. big do- like profit would still be important, but it wouldn't be the only thing that matters. And uh, I, I, so yeah, I, in my mind, all of the aforementioned deformation of the online discourse is geared as is, is a result of trying to preserve corporate profits or trying to ameliorate any discussion of what might make corporate profits not the number one priority. For our society to uh, optimize.
0: Uh, well, it's just that for like Pfizer to become a worker co-op. I mean, what what does that progress look like? I mean, it's not just going to... I mean, Pfizer, like they control... I mean, they pay for ad space on CNN, not because they care about the viewers, but yeah. just to control the narrative. Right, yeah.
1: It's all about locking down control, locking down the discourse.
0: And it's going to require some powerful catalyst to get that all to change. And... Uh, uh, so I don't know. I guess I'm like just trying to I just be open-minded about what progress looks like. I mean, I, I guess picking like the end point and like working your way towards it. I don't know if that really makes sense, I guess. Or, uh, yeah, I, uh, Uh, But I I don't know. (laughs) Yeah, sure. Well,
1: like in 1917, the Russians had a revolution, and it was a successful revolution. A lot, largely in part because they had this. They they were even around these crazy books by Karl Marx, and they had this glorious, you know, utopian future to kind of aspire to. We have no such thing. We're just wandering around in circles in a whirlpool in the cul-de-sac of hyper-normalization, with no North Star to guide us at all. And uh, I think that we need a North Star like um, I like <laughs> I like the uh, idea of noted anti-Semite Jeremy Corbyn. Jeremy Corbyn was the he was the, the party the leader of the Labor Party in England for the longest time. Uh, He um, didn't. uh, He got. He got politically assassinated. It's just the sort of thing that Donald wouldn't care about. He got politically assassinated for. He got his reputation assassinated for not sufficiently excoriating a member of his party for making for criticizing the government of Israel. So he got slapped with the anti semite label, unfortunately, and that's more or less the end of his political career. But he had this idea where, uh, um, when it comes time, because. You raised a really good point earlier They're like hierarchies are a part of human operation, and in small businesses, oftentimes the owner of the business is the guy that that um, that started the business you know he has the vision for it um, we 'll we'll do yet another shout out to our dear friend, the captain. You know he is running a business um, that he his family started. Um, but he wears I, I can just see like I think a lot of the, the the a lot of the hard work he does isn't necessarily the work of the business and it's not necessarily the work of the own, It's the tension between the two. He he's like he he rolls up his sleeves alongside his employees and he wears both he wears both the employee hat and the employer hat. And and without someone without someone resolving that tension their their business, i I'm sure their business would be in trouble. Um, it would become too tilted towards the owner side or or too tilted to the employee side. And the fact that he wears both hats is the big that's what I think every business should be. Every business people should be making decisions as if they're the owner and also working as if they're the um uh, working as if they're the employee. But the point, but Jeremy Corbyn's plan was if you're going to sell your business, then you must first offer it to your workers. Um they get what's called the right of first refusal. And then that way you would have a way for companies to pivot between the, the 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 small business like the one run by the captain, which ought to be run by the captain and not be a worker co-op, right? There's no way that those the the employees there's not that many of them. There's not going to they're not going to make good decisions collectively. But then before his business becomes a multinational conglomerate, somewhere between A and B, there'd be a pivot to where it could become democratically controlled versus. Um, versus top down control because when you scale up top down top down control is hugely valuable at the scale of the small business but the scale of the international conglomerate it's a complete disaster and we're living that disaster each and every day um, that's what um, that's, that's, the, that's the proposal I have seen that most fits in with my worldview.
0: Well, I guess uh, just like in that 1917 revolution in Russia or whatever, like, I mean, America sent our troops to fight against the Russian proletariat, right?
1: (laughs) Yep, yep, we sure And I'd
0: have to imagine that uh, we, well, America's just heavily involved in overthrowing every people's uprising. Yes. And so obviously you want to get to the point of having, like, uh, you know, worker co-ops. But just having worker, just just saying, well, we should have worker co-ops, you need to understand that. Like if Pfizer is a crazily powerful entity. How, like the question is like, how do you make worker yeah. co-ops a more powerful okay, idea? Okay, I see what than, you're uh, saying. Yes,
1: and you're right. I have gotten my cart before my horse here because I get excited about democracy, and uh, but the, but there's some real transition work that has to be done. To, th- that's the goal, not the journey. Yeah, I see what you're saying, and, and you're you're definitely
0: right. Well, uh, the good news is that the wheels are coming off for how uh, <laughs> the establishment. So, uh, it, at least the void is opening, and uh, yeah, we just need to g- get ourselves into the place where it, where the democracy is a more powerful idea than yeah. uh, oppression, I guess. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. Well, look, part of that heavy lifting is discourse, right? We've got to. We've got to nudge our fellow man at the ribs down at the CBD bar and, um, you know, be like, hey, boss, you've what I'm seeing. You know, th- this podcast is a big part of that. We're trying to um, to spread a discourse. we trying to spread a constellation of ideas. Um, and, uh, well, I, I think um, it's not the end all and be all, but it's a huge part of the equation. I'm sure you would at least agree with me that far. Um, And so that's what we're doing over here at System Failure.
0: All right. Well, I think that's a good place to
1: leave it, huh? Okay. Yeah, we'll try to leave it on that inspiring note. Um, But I will end the pod as usual by inviting you, our valued listener, to send us a note and let us know why we're mad to not at com. if you send us one we'll almost certainly read it on the next pod um and if you want to read essays written by yours truly expounding on the glories of democracy and the evils of ego and many other great topics like magic and marxism and uh, finance then uh, head on over to not.substack.com and read a few essays and uh, leave some comments let me know what you think
0: all right we'll see you see you